Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to my guest list pod. Today's show is one that I have been looking forward to finally getting out because I love the podcast this person creates, and the podcaster himself is such an interesting person. Even though this interview was recorded quite a while ago now, Alan's podcast is still going strong, and I am still an avid and devoted listener. Not long after this chat, in fact, I had the honour of being written into the lore of Nevermore Hollows and being cast in a very flattering light for my part of the story. So without further ado, sit back, relax and turn on a light as we enter the mind of Alan Wattenbarger and the town of Nevermore Hollows. Tonight, it gets dark. This will be the most disturbing story that I've told up to this point. So anyone that knows me or has followed my podcast reviews and recommendations is more than aware that I love a good fiction podcast. Tannis, Archive 81, Night Vale, just to name a few. Considering this, you can understand my excitement with the guest I have on the show this week. Alan Wattenbarger is the mind and voice behind Nevermore Hollows a horror podcast that tells the story of a unique town and its many distinctive and often murderous inhabitants. Serial killers, black magic, and a myriad of Lovecraftian-level horrors make this the type of town that when Sunnydale claims Hellmouth status, Nevermore Hollows looks at it, giggles, and says, that's cute. So it's with fanboy exuberance that I welcome Alan onto my personal guest list and onto my guest list pod. Excellent. Hello. Yes. Hello, Alan. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for that intro. That was awesome. (laughs) No worries. Well, I thought you might uh, like the Sunnydale reference considering you are a Buffy fan, but we'll get into that as we we go along. (laughs) Yes. So, Alan, please, look, I'm I'm really excited to to have you on the show. Uh, I can't remember being this excited about actually wanting to talk to someone. And we, we did this pretty quickly. Usually, I have a, a bit more time with uh, doing research on on my guests and things like that, and uh, I guess we did it with you know about a week, and I had to hurry up and finish off your episodes. So I, I I usually I usually listen to uh, quite a few of the episodes of the people I'm going to talk to, but with yours, I binged the whole two seasons because they are fantastic. It's it's amazing. So look, why don't you tell everybody who you are, and then we'll get into your podcast from there. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, I'm Alan Wattenbarger. I live in the United States in the great state of Tennessee. And uh, I, um, um, I'm i a writer, um, musician, artist, you know, all that, that frou-frou stuff that, that you know, that uh, makes life interesting. But um, I, um, I published a book in 2008, and um, it was surprisingly it was a spy novel i was really into the spy novel stuff back in the day okay. always been a horror fan my whole life always been a horror fan and um so you know i had this idea for this little town and this little universe and so i thought well i can i can try to publish it or i can you know maybe do something different so i thought well, let's try a podcast so here we are <laughs> 
Fantastic. I'm glad you did because I've really enjoyed listening to your show. And as I said, it's reminiscent of some of the stuff I already listened to and some of the stuff I like to watch in terms of TV and movies and things like that. So it was, uh, it was right up my alley. And as soon as I heard it, I thought, I wonder if this person would talk to me because I'd love to discuss you know, their creative process and just, you know, where all the ideas came from and just the, the mind behind the show. So uh, it's great to have you on. So, and thank you for telling us uh, all that. It's, uh, I usually ask everyone for a little elevator pitch and you've done it perfectly. So, <laughs> so I understand the show when it started, it was a different name. It was 13 Graves. Is that correct? That's correct. It, that was kind of a placeholder. I was, I had the stories and I had some recorded and I'd never recorded anything before in my life like this. You know, mm-hmm. as a musician, I'd been in a, in recording sessions, but you know, there's always someone else behind the desk. And so, you know, like a lot of us who get into podcasting, I had to learn all the steps, how to make it work. And, and, uh, so, um, you know, just dove into it that way. Okay. Okay. Did were there what what were the things you came up with? Like obviously the the writing's the easy part for you or easier part for you if you you've uh, you've been a writer for a while and you know the audio is something you had to learn. What was the hardest part about uh getting everything you've written down onto uh an audio track exactly the way you wanted it? Was it uh, the engineering side of things or was this getting comfortable with the mic or It was the engineering part for sure, you know, uh for those who know me, I, I'm a wordy guy. So, you know, uh, the joke is you always tell people I'm, I'm a, you know, I, you know, I'm a soft spoken man who doesn't have a lot to say, but all my friends laugh at that because, you know, I have, I have the gift of gab, but for me, it was the technical aspect of it. Um, luckily, you know, um, I, I'm surrounded by people who, who were able to speak into that and kind of give me some pointers. Um, you know, being a musician, you know, I had folks that I could just reach out and go, hey, how do I do this? And yeah. and the fun thing is, is when I was doing, you know, when I was trying to make uh, monster noises, which we can get into that in a little bit, too. That That's that's one of my, you know, funnier stories is, you know, I had, you know, some of these technicians would, you know, tell me, well, you know, you, you, you know, you can detune your voice, right? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, you know, that was cool to learn those little things that, you know, kind of help add depth to the stories yeah i i think you find that as you go through uh in your first season then into the second season the uh the background uh noises or ancillary noises to the story that help flesh it out a little bit they they probably become a little bit more prevalent in in the story and uh uh but but right from the first episode i I thought you did a fantastic job and you, you do something really what i think is really difficult you do a story, you narrate a story, and you don't really put on a lot of extra accents uh, or change your voice for the characters a lot. But regardless of that, you know exactly who's talking. Is that something that you you went into it saying, well, I'm going to do it this way, I'm not going to create a lot of characters with different voices? Or was it? what was the process behind that? Well, to be honest with you, I have come to the writing is the most fun thing for me. That's, that's where the passion is, but I have grown to really love the recording process when, you know, so let's say, you know, I, I create a character and, and I want to give them a distinct voice, but I'm kind of limited in my, you know, my acting chops. So, okay. you know, yeah. when I record, I may record a voice 
and you know I'll record all this dialogue separate from the story. So I'll do the narration, and if it's a, a particular character that I'm trying to get the voice, you know, to be unique, I'll go in and I'll record the voice in three or four, sometimes six, seven different ways. And then okay. at the end, I'm just like I can't nail it, so I just kind of go back in and hoping that the writing and the inflection does what you said it does, which yeah. thanks for that feedback, because I always worry about that. Um, but you know, I, I guess to, to put it a period on it, I want distinct voices, but I just don't have that ability yet. Look, I, I think you, you, with some of the characters like Granny Dingo and things like that too, there, there is a, you know, there is a different voice for these people. And, and I love with, uh, I don't want to give too much away of the stories while we're talking because I want people to experience them for themselves. But you come across Psycho Juju pretty quick, quickly in your series. And he's one, obviously, that you've, like you were talking about before, detuned the voice to get that voice the way it was. So, and I think it does, you do an amazing job with that. And it's, it's really good. These stories that you've come up with and the idea of just having it in a, a town. Uh, was that something that you initially wanted to do or was it just going to be separate stories? Uh, I'm, I'm a huge Stephen King fan and a Dean Koontz fan. And, you know, back in early Stephen King books, you know, they were all centered in the town of Derry. A lot of those mm. stories were. So, you know, that's always been kind of in the back of my mind to do that. When I first started these, um, they were going to be independent stories. Okay. And, I got maybe three stories in when it was the 13 graves, um, you know, banner there. And I was driving down the road and, and my son and I, he's an artist, you know, he has a, an underground comic book that I edit and we're always bouncing ideas off of each other. And we were driving down the road and he goes, dad, what if you put it all in a town and called the town nevermore? And I was like, Oh my gosh, inspiration hit like lightning at that moment. And then, you know, that, you know, some, I guess some writers would think maybe that's too confining, but for me, for whatever reason, that just, that just opened up floodgates. I think it's great because you have recurring characters and you get to actually, especially the two boys, uh, you get to actually really, uh, connect with them and you're rooting for them a lot of the time. So again, I don't want to give too much away. Uh, but you know, Winona and the Waffle House and things like that. Uh, there's, yeah, it's, I think the fact that you are basing it in one town with the recurring characters that interact with a lot of different stories, uh, it's fantastic. It's great. And, um, yeah, it makes you want to come back and find out what's going to happen next. <laughs> good, good. Thank you for that. Look, this is a classic, in general, a classic good versus evil story, correct? Pretty much. Yeah. Yes. So, is it born out of a comment on basic human nature or is it more inspired by a faith and religious idea of good and evil? Where's, where does the inspiration come for you? I've always, you know, I've always liked those stories, you know, whether they be a spiritual story or a, um, you know, just a secular story about, you know, standing up to, you know, evil. Um, I like the every man and the every woman, you know, I, I want them to be real people, not with superpowers, you know, you know, they may have some sort of, uh, bent towards, you know, um, uh, being able to pick up on the paranormal, but there are no powers. It's, it's literally just normal people standing up to, to evil. So it, it started, I grew up, um, you know, my, 
my brother is a police officer and I spent 18 years as an investigator. So there was, there was that inherent, you know, trying to bring order to the chaos, you know? So then it, it did become a faith thing. You know, I was an, I was an atheist for, for many years. And then, you know, I, 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 I became a believer you know, I, I became a Christian and then that just kind of helped shape it into the paranormal, you know, knowing that there is a spiritual realm. So and as you can tell where, you, where you're leading with that question is, you know, there's a lot of a lot of the, you know, I say it over and over and over. You know, there is a spiritual realm. It does not love you. It wants to destroy you. So you have to stand up for it, you know, or, or against it. So um, I'm glad that you I mean, I try not to make that a subtle point. <laughs> but, you know, you know, I, I, I've talked to a couple of people locally who who never picked up on it. Yeah. Look, I, I, I really like the diverse nature of all the shows. So I, I think with some of the shows, you have some of the, the more recognizable tropes from horror with like Boo Hag and Black Eyed Children and things like that. And then you have uh, things that I think are really clever, like the, the happy uh episode i thought that was that was really uh interesting and you were you didn't know where it was going where it was going you know right until pretty much the end um but then there were it, my prop my favorite's probably gnome slayer i thought that was uh that was oh it's one of my i don't know if it's my actual favorite because I, I love so many of your episodes but gnome slayer i thought was really great because it gave a completely different idea to something that was so uh, yes. you know so beloved and uh it's such a cute little idol um that's a uh, that's a great day episode but then there was ones like um tiberius poe and the the case of the cadaver dolls mm-hmm. now that that seemed to be more of a social comment wasn't sure if that's where you were going or if you were making that comment on social media. And it, it seemed fairly obvious, but I thought I'd ask anyway. Right. <laughs> um, was that, that was the inspiration, pretty much just to have a comment on the, our current situation with social media and uh, uh, people's uh, ideas of beauty and things like that. Yes. You know, I, I, my gut, you know, I try to approach it in a couple of ways. First, just tell, tell, a, tell a good story if possible. Tell a good yeah. story. If there's a way to make some sort of social commentary, then then do, you know, but, you know, if, if I'm ever going to reach the success that I want to reach, I've got to tell good stories first. But that one, that one was one of those that just kept hammering me, you know, as you're scrolling through Instagram or whatever, you know, you see that you see mm-hmm. so much narcissism and 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 vanity and people, you know, and, and when I first got on Instagram, I've only been on Instagram since August. I've had so many, so many people reach out to me, most of them women. Okay. Not all, but, and they're begging, please, you don't have to watch any of my content. Just follow me so I can be an influencer. Yeah. And and I'm like, you know, (laughs) to be, to be in that cage, you know, it's gotta be (laughs) terrible to be in that cage of needing that, that, you know, from society. Yeah, that affirmation from and from strangers. So. Right. And then that got me to thinking, you know, you know, and also we all know that, you know, the Internet is where a lot of people let their, you know, their inner darkness shine because they feel that they're hidden. You know, what would you do? What would you do to gain followers? And, and then the, mm-hmm. the, the idea just kind of came to me that, you know, well, 
it's got to be a couple of girls and they've got to be willing to, to do some dark things to, to, to gain those followers. So that's where this, that nugget came from. Well, let's hope none of the influencers that we see on Instagram for real are doing anything those two are doing because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was right, right out there. So, but anyway, <laughs> look, well, I, I got to say, I got to say, I am so glad to hear that, that the Gnome Slayer is one of your favorites. When I wrote that one, I told everybody, everybody <laughs> in my circle, I was like, this is my favorite story by far because yeah. it's so, like you say, it's so out there and, what I try to do so, so much, Darren, is I try to take whatever that trope is and can I do it differently? Can I do it okay. like it's not ever been done? And, and when, when I came across the whole gnome thing, I was like, okay, that's, that's going to be weird, <laughs> but let's go for it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's, well, it's a, it's a perfect one to do considering, you know, they're, they're, it's a gnome, you know, like how offensive or how dangerous can a gnome be? But right. uh, you you made sure that they were both, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> which was great. I, I like I said, I, it probably is my favorite, and I think it's one I mentioned to you when we were we're talking to each mm. other through emails because it uh, it, it definitely left a mark. So. <laughs> Uh, and, and what I like about that is too, there's there's uh, little throwbacks to that story because it is in the same town mm-hmm. in other episodes, and I love that mm-hmm. crossover, which is, which is great. So uh, as you have with Professor Grieve and uh, things like that as well. So um, look, there there are also a lot of nods to, I guess, uh, parts of horror or people within horror that you really. Uh, admire now Tiberius Poe is is that in any way related to Edgar Allan Poe or a nod yes. to him or ah yes yeah. okay um, yeah in fact the backstory is we don't we don't know that yet but the backstory is he is a he's you know he is in he's related to Poe clearly oh, and I okay. haven't I haven't quite written that as as deeply as I want yet but yes he is he is an ancestor of Poe. You heard it here first. There's a uh, an exclusive <laughs> on something that's coming up. I'm I'm sort of uh, a little bit uh, upset that I actually uh, asked you that now because I would have liked to have found that out uh, <laughs> through listening to the episode. So, but that's cool. Oh, thanks for telling me that. That's great. But there's uh, there's other things in terms of Lovecraft, the park. Now I I have to ask. Uh, you are a Stephen King fan and Dean Koontz, as you said. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, very, I guess, especially Stephen King, a very verbose writer as well. Is he your favorite? You know, he, he was. I mean, you know, ever since I was a kid, I was reading him. And whenever a new book would come out, I, w- I was there the first day it came out. And he kind of lost me about 10 years ago. Uh, and it's okay. because he started getting real political. In you know some of his stories and stuff, and, and 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 which again, as you know, as artists, whether you're a musician, a writer, whatever, you want to put your your feelings in there. But it 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 got to the point where I felt that it was alienating, you know, yeah. instead of drawing me in and you know challenging me to to think, you know, about yeah. your position. So I stopped reading him for a while. But Kuntz has always been solid for me, always. And um, but I about. Six months ago, I got back into King, and right now I'm, I'm almost finished reading The Outsider, uh, which okay. I think is is really awesome. You know, it, it it's it's 
he's making fewer political statements and just telling a good story. Well, that's what you want from him. But what you said about him being too political is something that I've heard from other Stephen King fans. This mm. is uh, – I've never been a, a massive fan and I've never actually read one of his books. I, I love to read and I used to read a lot more before I had three kids. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but, uh, but obviously I've seen a lot of his movies and uh, Gerald's Game and things like that I thought would have been a great read, which I would like to actually read that book and Pet Cemetery and things like that. So they, uh, you know, they're, they're amazing, amazing stories. But uh, people that I've talked to who are real Stephen King fans, most of them have come back with exactly what you've just said there is, I liked it, but when he stopped telling stories and tried to make political statements, I, I don't mm-hmm. come to him for that. I come to him from a good story. I'll look after that, politics myself. <laughs> so, right. uh, yeah, so that's interesting, very interesting. All right. Uh, look, there's one other th- – before we get into your countdown, uh, there's one other question I want to ask you about. Now, all but one of your episodes are narrated stories uh, by you, obviously. There's the one episode where you do have a guest, where you actually interview the coroner from Nevermore mm-hmm. Hollows. Mm-hmm. Is that something we're going to see more of in the future, or was that something that came – uh, on a whim and just thought, well, well, why don't we try this? I want to do more of that, you know, and that was kind of a, that was kind of a test. And I'll tell you, as, in popularity of episodes, it sits right in the middle. So, okay. so, you know, there's enough there to go. Can I, can I tweak it, make it better moving forward? But uh, I'll, I'll tell you something I'm working on and it is so hard because, you know, when, when you when you hear these stories, there's there's a clear narrative. There's a narrator, and mm-hmm. what I want to do, and I've got the story started. It's just it, it keeps stalling. Is I want to do found audio, you know, kind of like the the, ah, you know, the Blair yes. Witch, but do found yes. audio. Yes. Well, and I've got a great story for it, and I've got you know, um, I've got three or four people in my in, in my close knit friend group who are actors. You know, they've they've done acting. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they're all on board. They all want to come together and do this, you know, found audio footage story. But the problem that I keep coming up with is, is since there's no narration, how do I set that? You know, there has to be a narrator to set the tone. So I can't say, you know, and then Darren went toward the, you know, the, 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 the green door. You know, it has to be, hey, Darren, go to the green door or Darren has to go. I'm going to the green door. I haven't quite yeah. figured that out yet. So but that's where I'm headed is to, is to hopefully have more voice actors in it. Um, but right now I do it all, you know, kind of like, you know, I'm sure you do, you know, you, you record it, you do the research, you do everything. So, you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, you know, especially the first couple of times will be easy to go, Hey, you know, would you do my podcast for free? But, you know, if they start taking it off, you know, you, you're going to have to pay somebody to, to be a regular voice actor. Yeah, of course. Yes. Understandable. So look, I think there's, there's probably a, a lot of, uh, potential there for that sort of thing with your show, uh, for that yeah. to you know to expand that aspect of it. But for now, look, I'm enjoying the way you do it uh, now. So uh, if it never comes to fruition, then I'm happy with that anyway because I think you do a wonderful job the way it is. So uh, thank you, <laughs> that's good. Look now, I guess consistent with the offbeat nature of your show. Your countdown is going to be a little different to the normal countdown that I do. So 
normally my guests will come on and count down a top 10 in a topic. Uh, what you've done is actually taken 10 topics and given me your favorite or in each, which is a different spin on what I normally do, which is great. I, I love that. And uh, I would not have expected anything else as well, which is great. So uh, why don't we start your countdown and we'll uh, we'll talk about your show a little bit more later on and uh, a few of your passions and things like that. But why don't we get into your, your countdown? No topic this week. We actually have 10 topics and we'll count them down and talk about your your favorite in each. So why don't we start with number 10? All right. Uh, my favorite Clint Eastwood movie. And uh, you know, I, my, I grew up, the only real connection I had with my dad, my dad and I didn't get along very well, is, is he loved Clint Eastwood movies. And so, you know, that's how I got my first dose of Clint Eastwood movies. But I would have to say that my favorite movie of his is Gran Torino. And, you know, because what a story. You know, and this goes exactly to what we've been talking about now. They told a story first and then made, you know, a, a social commentary on racism. Yes. You know, yep. and, and but it, it wasn't what we see today in most of our movies and TV shows where they're beating you to death going, you know, if you yep. don't believe this, you're a hater. You know, it was just about a man who let war warp his vision of a certain race. And then he finds he finds a calling with that young boy, yeah. you know, teaching him how to be a man. And okay. through that, he's redeemed. And then it, it, even on top of that, it's a self-sacrifice story. Where at the end, it's a beautiful story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm glad you picked that one because that's that's one of my favorites. And it may even be my favorite. I look, I look I'm like Pale Rider and Dirty Harry and Sudden yes. Impact, all that sort of stuff. They're great. But Gran Torino, yeah, in terms of a quality story and not just a, you know, a, a cop story with lots of big guns and things like that and, and pistols in them, uh, it's a great story and, yeah, fantastic. Um, I'm glad you didn't say Bridges of Madison County. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to turn in my man card. <laughs> you probably would, yes. <laughs> All right, let's move on to number nine. Uh, favorite Keanu Reeves movies. And there's two there, you know, and uh, one of them is just total man movie. The first um, John Wick movie is probably one of the, the top three ultimate man movies of all time, <laughs> you know. It's it's told well, it's acted well, it's over the top in a glorious way, you know, and it's kind of got that immersive, you know, universe of what's going on with the coins and the hotel and all that. But again, at its heart, it's a simple story about a man who who's who's lost, you know, and and the one connection he has with his wife is taken away from him and and he seeks, you know, he becomes vengeance and but you know, for me while I love that there's other movies that 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 was that was a done story yeah you know at the end of that movie it it was complete you know it didn't need anything else but you know to me again awesome story uh then you know and I get a lot of flack on this one but Bill and Ted's excellent adventure why that's a fantastic movie <laughs> it's great I love it. <laughs> I love it, of course and one of the reasons why I love that one, Darren, is because it has a heart like you don't see in a lot of movies today. Yeah. And, and it, you know, these boys, you know, have a uh, an innocence to them. 
Yes. And you know, you 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 see with with Rory and Stevie, there's an innocence there that 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 has to stay intact. Well, Bill and Ted, they had an innocence to them. They, you know, when they went back in time, they could have they could have used that technology to just benefit themselves so much more than just getting a good grade on a history test. Yes, exactly. And you know, when my son was ten. I was like, son, we're going to watch Bill and Ted. And he, he, hate. he is like, no, I'm not going to. He, he pitched a fit at the end of it. He was like, wow, dad, that was a great story. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, look, it's a fun one. And my boys have all seen it. They all love it. And it, like you said, it's about the fact that they, they are that, okay, they're, they're a couple of dumb guys, but right. they're, they're innocent and they know right from wrong, though. That's, That's the thing. Wrong. They know right yeah. from wrong. And, <laughs> the second one's a fantastic movie too. I actually, I love that series. They're they're they're, they're really good. They're really good movies. So right. very fun movies. So, uh, and that's actually it's funny with, with when you talk about John Wick. John Wick. John Wick Two is really good. I love the mm. fact by by the time they get to John Wick Three, they they are just sort of taking the piss. They they are actually laughing at themselves with the body right. count and everything else that goes on. Right. And I th- that I think that's very Keanu Reeves. You know, he's very self-deprecating and self-aware, uh, and I think that's uh, that's what makes him so lovable as well. So two great movies you've picked there for Keanu Reeves. So, uh, And, again, although I do like it, I'm glad you didn't pick Point Break. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, that is a great movie, though. Yes, I love that one too. But, but like I say, if, you, if you're going to have to narrow them down, those are the two. Yeah, look, and, and great picks, great picks. Um, okay, let's move on to... Number eight. All right. So the best non-universe comic book movie. And, you know, hands down for me, that's the first Hellboy movie. Okay. Um, yep. You know, you know what, when, when, when I want to love Guillermo del Toro more than I do, visually when he shoots a movie or is a part of a movie, it, it's always from, from the very first scene, you know, I mean, it is set so well that you're pulled into that mood, that feel, that vibe, because he is able to capture that image. Mm. I feel like a lot of his movies that I've attempted to watch, and I say attempted because I can't get them through them all. I think he, he, he sacrifices the story for the visual. And I know a lot of people would probably disagree with that, but the, the first Hellboy movie, it's visually you're drawn in, you know what's going on. You feel like you're totally immersed in that universe. Um, you know, the story is good. You know, there's enough humor in there. You know, there's enough drama in there. And, you know, again, it's a good versus evil. And, you know, in this one, you, you know, you've got, you've got a creature that was created evil for the destruction of the world and he chooses good. He makes a choice. Yes. That's it's the big thing about that movie. Exactly. It's great because he makes that choice. That's right. So I think, you know, to me, that is, that is, I think it's the perfect comic book movie, you know, and, uh, you know, and again, at the, at, at, you know, and even, and that kind of lets us go off in a couple of different directions, but still at the end of the day, it's a simple story of good versus evil and, you know, and a group of people who are willing to stand up to it. Yep. Fantastic. Uh, That's great. That's a good, a good choice as well. And that's, yeah, and one of my favorite movies as well. I love Hellboy. Hellboy's great. Don't like the reboot with um, oh, what's his name, the guy out of uh, Stranger Things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was so hopeful for that yeah. too, but yeah, it didn't quite hit the same way, unfortunately. So no, yeah. I agree. Anyway. 
All right, let's move on to number seven, and I am really interested to uh, see what you pick here because I love this genre of movie. So uh, you're number seven. Okay, I thought really long and hard about this, and I came up with Twilight. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. <laughs> I saw the look on you. I wanted that that, that response from you. So, so, but, you know, look, you know, uh, I'm – my wife likes the Twilight movies and, and I, I give her a hard time about them. You know, there are some redeeming qualities to that, but I have to say my favorite, my favorite vampire movie is probably Lost Boys. Yes. <laughs> I'm very happy with that. Now, I'm not unhappy with Twilight because I've read all the books and I get a lot of crap for that. So, but Lost Boys is the best vampire movie and any other answer is incorrect. So, <laughs> well, how I got into the Twilight stuff is, is actually my niece. My niece was so into them, so I watched them with her. And you know, and I went in with a negative view. You know, okay. I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible. And then you do get drawn into that. And so then, and then my wife, you know, you know, fell in love with the movies. But um, I love vampire stories as well. But Lost Boys, I think, again, it, it's it's one of those stories that it's got so much heart. You know, it's got you know. It's got an innocence to it again, you know. And you keep, you know, that's a theme that I like to come back to, especially when, when the, when the little brother, when he looks at his his big brother, he goes, "You're a bloody stinking vampire." Wait till I tell mom. Tell mom. <laughs> you know, there's such innocence in in that statement. Yeah, yeah definitely. You know? And uh, but yes, I love the Lost Boys. I think it's a great vampire movie all the way around. Uh, now the question: Have you ever seen the sequels? <laughs> Uh, I have not. <laughs> Good. Don't bother. <laughs> don't bother. Um, I didn't even finish the second one. That's so. bad. You know, when yeah. you can give, I, I, I give a movie 30 minutes. If I figure if you can't compel me in a third, you know, if, yeah. if an average movie is 90 minutes long, if you can't compel me in 30 minutes to care, then I, yeah. I got, there's, there's other, there's other stuff out there we can be looking at. Yeah. You won't make 30 minutes in that movie. That's for sure. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the first one, an absolute classic. So, um, yeah, you did some, you did actually, uh, not scare me, but I was a little bit worried when you said Twilight to begin with, <laughs> but you redeemed yourself with Lost Boys. So <laughs> that is hands down in this household, the favorite uh, vampire movie. Uh, and as I said, I love a lot of movies. Like I love the original Blade. Um, I actually don't mind yeah. Two and Trinity, but you know that's that's more of a uh, contentious issue in this household in terms of the second and third one. But the first one, hands down, fantastic, great movie. But uh, yeah, Lost Boys, it's the it's the one. So, all right, cool. Let's move on to uh, and a, another interesting one, number six, uh, best sci-fi movie of all time, and you know. Every time I bring this up, the younger folks call me a boomer, you know, and, and, and then I have to defend myself, which I find it odd that I have to defend myself on this, but I'm going to have to say being a huge lover of sci-fi. Okay. Uh, it's, Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's, uh, it's the original Star Wars episode four in its original format when it came out in, in 77. And, and here's why. Let's, let's look at this now. You know, when, when I say this, you know, you, you literally, I have seen people's eyes get wide when I, when I tell, when I, when I approach it from this way, I go, okay, I grew up watching whatever genre, but mostly sci-fi. There's always the damsel in distress, always. 
She always needed to be rescued. She was always super pretty, super hot, whatever, almost a little dingy and dumb, you know. And then we get to the original Star Wars. And when we first see Princess Leia, for, for just a moment, we think that she's a damsel in distress. But then we realize, well, she's not. By any means is she a damsel in distress. But how George Lucas approached it was, again, not hitting you in the face with that being the main thing. It's just assumed that she's an equal with Luke and Han and all those. She she steps up and she's a badass in her own right and not at the belittlement of the man. It's literally a symbiosis, you know. And 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 for me being, you know, I was I was in 77, I was I was eight years old, uh, nine years old. And seeing that for the first time, seeing a woman painted in that light was it even at that young of an age. I'm like, wow, girls can be, you know, a strong character. Yeah, yeah. You know, definitely. Which I think that's what led me to, you know, to embracing our whole Buffy love here in a few minutes, you know, is, you know, (laughs) just that strong female character that that I didn't see as a young man. And and that's where I think a lot of people they'll they'll think of okay strong female lead action character they'll think of Sigourney Weaver they'll think of Ripley straight away but mm-hmm. you you're completely correct uh, Leia was strong she stood up to Darth Vader straight away right. and she became uh, you know um, a soldier as well uh, right. and she like you said she was an equal with them and she was actually more capable than Luke to be in with to be that's honest right. so right. yeah. That was probably one of the. That was probably the first one of the first uh, strong female lead characters that I saw too, because I just worked out we're exactly the same age. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you 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 were born in what sixty eight? Yes, sixty eight. Wow. Well, yeah, it ticks me off because you wear fifty four a whole lot better than I wear fifty four. <laughs> I don't say that, but thank you very much. You're on my Christmas card list now. Thank you. But no, you're, you're doing very well for yourself as well. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, it, it was, it's probably my favorite. The only, the only movie that I have that would probably, uh, I guess, rival that uh, is uh, The Fifth Element. I yes. really love The Fifth Element visually. Yes. As a story, it's funny as well. But I, ca- I came out of Star Wars with my best friend, who is still my best friend for this day, from, to this day. We were at primary school together, and we went and saw that movie on an excursion, and I said, I'll never see a better movie than That's that. That's right, ever. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I have. <laughs> it's no, great. I'm- I remember sitting there at, you know, like I say, at nine years old going, oh, my gosh, what am I witnessing? Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, being able to share that with my son when he got old enough, you know, and now he's, you know, he's passionate about it as well. But you're right. I mean, it is, it's a, it's probably, you know, out of the millions of movies that are put out and that, you know, and some that we've talked about being awesome in this, that is a perfect movie. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Great to hear. All right. Look, we've done 10 to 6 and there's been some fantastic movies uh, come out of your countdown already. Uh, why don't we get back and talk to you about you a little bit more and we can get into that Buffy love that you were talking about and uh, <laughs> see where we go. So, look, what I'd like to know is what do you do for fun? Other than writing and recording a fantastic podcast, what are your other interests? Um, I play guitar. Um you know, I, I'm passionate about Telecasters. It's, you know, my little nerdy thing. You know, I, um, so 
if if I'm not writing, if I've got free time, I've got a guitar in my hand. Okay, very good. Uh, you into sport? Are you a runner? Uh, I walk a lot. When I was younger, I used to I used to um, you know do a lot of running. But you know, uh, even though I'm I'm fit at, at at my age, you know, <laughs> running for me is a little tough on the back. Um, yeah. So I do that now. My wife is a huge uh, college football fan, uh, the University of Tennessee. So okay. trying to be a good husband, I've embraced that and I've been going down into that. So, you know, there's a lot of excitement there. Uh, okay. Go balls. We're doing great this season. So. <laughs> but uh, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. You know, I, I, okay. I'm pretty boring beyond that. Okay, that's fine. That's good. That that's a fine. If if that's what your your passions are, then that's it. So they are passions that would take up a lot of time with writing and music. I, I know people, music takes up a lot of time. Um, it's a it's a passion that people can get lost in. So oh, mm-hmm. very good. Now, Buffy, you're a big Buffy right. fan. Yes, so sir. <laughs> what's what drew you to Buffy, uh, and why is it so important to you as a a series? Well. You know, to how I got into Buffy, it, I came to it after it had, you know, done its run, its seven year run. And I used to, I used to do a lot of rock climbing and the guys that I did rock climbing with, I mean, they were your big burly guys with, you know, big duck dynasty beards, you know, and they were burly. I mean, just manly men. And they were always talking about Buffy, Buffy, Buffy. And they were like, dude, you need to watch Buffy. You know, you're into sci-fi, you're into the paranormal, you got to watch Buffy. And I was like, ah, I don't want to. So, um, I guess it was, it was, it ended in 2007. So it was right at its end that I thought, all right. So I jumped on Netflix and watched the first episode and was hooked at, you know, how it, it uses, it does not take itself seriously, even when it's taking itself seriously. And, you know, when my, my next favorite TV show is Supernatural and Supernatural draws so much from, from that Buffy franchise by not taking itself seriously, even when it's taking itself seriously. And, um, so, you know, just the characters are so distinct, you know, and probably for me though, as the, the, I used to try to write them down, but there's so many is the little quips that they're doing. They're little, you know, you know, just the way they talk, the banter was, I'm like, oh, what a great line, you know, yeah, in amazing. context of what they're talking about. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, it just, it just pulls you in. It does. And it's, it's, it's very camp in terms of the way it actually presents itself. I, I guess that's the, it taking, not taking itself very seriously. And even some of the stories uh, are, you know, they're, you look at it and they're not really that serious a threat sort of thing, but um, you still enjoy it because like you right. said, the way they approach it, the way it's, it's, are you a Josh Whedon fan, like Firefly, Serenity, all yes. that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. Cabin yeah. in the Woods. What do you think of Cabin in the Woods? Okay. It was one of those movies where you're like, what the hell is, where is he taking me? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and so, so, you know, I, I know a lot of po- folks didn't like the movie, but at the end of it, for me, I was like, what, what I loved about it is they were taking those tropes yep. and they, you know, they were, they were, they were tricking you a lot, which I I loved. And then when you end up down in the bunker and all that other stuff is going on, I was like, I loved it because it, it, it was so out there. Yeah. Oh, completely. And it was pretty, you know, it's full on in terms of visually as well. But yes, um, 
No, I, I love that. Then my eldest son, who's a, a bit of a, a horror fan as well, he he loves Cabin in the Woods. He's, he he loves Josh Whedon as well. So Josh Whedon. So, yeah, that's great. I, I was interested to see what you think. Now, uh, if they ever tried to uh, reboot Firefly, do you think that would be a good idea? You know, the nugget of that is such a, an awesome concept yeah i mean it's it's building on the the shoulders of giants but but you know again it's just from joss whedon's perspective i'd 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 be willing to give it a shot um so let me ask you this um you know um oh the guy who played um he plays castle uh and nathan fillion yes nathan fillion um, um you know, I don't know if you've ever gotten into Castle, but we've been watching the Castle um, series that he was in, and there are so many references to Firefly. There's even oh, really? one. Yes, there's even one Halloween episode where they're trying to figure out their their uh, costumes, and he puts on the the costume from Firefly, and he turns around, and his daughter goes, "Dad, that's a silly costume. What is it?" And he goes, "It's." It's a space pirate, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it is the exact same outfit. Okay. That's you know, nuts. I love stuff <laughs> like that. Love stuff like yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, I would be willing to give it a try. Uh, but you okay. know, the, what I fear is, you know, with, with a lot of reboots, you know, are you going to, are you going to try to, you know, how are you using it as a vehicle to push an agenda or are you uh, going to tell okay. a story? Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunately killed a lot of uh, series. I think recently in terms of where they've taken, they're trying to, they've gotten away from the story and tried to be a little bit, you know, too socially aware of uh, yeah. issues that are, uh, you know, in the, the media at the time. And they're trying to make a comment on that when really we don't come to you for that again. Seriously, right. just give us some entertainment and stay true to the story and to the canon and just, worry about everything else can worry about that you can do that on twitter or reddit wherever you want to do it but just give us the story that we want to see <laughs> i agree so. with you you know we, we we need that escape that's why they call it escapist literature escapist video you know or cinema you know so i agree with you now i i was i forgot to ask this before but i i pretty much anyone that's into buffy i like to ask them what is your favorite episode Okay, so I started re-watching. I'm in season two now. I started completely over because it's been a few years. Yeah. But the one that I keep coming back to, and I don't know the, I can't call the name of it right now, is the silent one. Hush. That's yes. Hush. Yes. yes. You know, it's fantastic. On so many levels. You know, yeah. those, <laughs> the, the monsters are terrifying. Yes. You know, and, yeah. and, and then, you know, they told, they were they were able to tell that story without a single word, and what a challenge! And it was Definitely. fun. It was creepy. I thought I, that's my favorite episode. Yeah, look, I was again hoping you'd say that one because that's my favorite. The only other one that rivals that for me is Once More with Feeling, which was the um, the episode where they sang. Yes, the whole episode was a musical. I thought that yes. was really fun. But Hush, if you're just going by, uh, you know, sort of like. Traditional Buffy episodes, mm-hmm. <laughs> although it's hard to say that considering right, a lot exactly. of stuff that's not very traditional about it. But yeah, Hush is amazing. The fact that they told that story, that they were able to convey that sense of fear and you know mm-hmm. that anticipation of what was going to happen next, and it, without any dialogue whatsoever, was amazing. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic, yeah. and that for true Buffy fans, I think 
and again, you, it's not doesn't make you a true Buffy fan just because you like that episode. You know, people have their you know their own uh, ideas of what's interesting for them. But most of the people that I've spoken with who are Buffy fans, it's either that or Once More with Feeling is right. their favourite. So, um, and I, I only re- found out recently they re- they released that Once More with Feeling episode as a as a CD. Or as a, really? like a soundtrack, yeah. So I, I've, I'm on the hunt to get that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, which is crazy. So, all right, cool. Um, so with your show, where do you want it to go? Where Where do you see it going, and where would you like it to go? Well, I, uh, you know, I think, you know, obviously it needs to 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 grow with you know continued characters, you know, because you know that gives you more. Um, it, it it frees you up. It doesn't limit you so much, but there's always, it's always going to be centered around my core characters, you know, Rory, Stevie, Ivan, um, Sheriff Mosley. We're getting ready to, to, you know, we're going, you know, the, the issue is trying to get them all written and recorded, you know, but um, you know, um, grow some of the characters a little bit, but I think that for the most part, I'm, I found all my bad guys, you know, okay. uh, I think they're all in place, but here's what's coming. Um, you know, I've set it up. There's going to be a big war, you know, between Psycho Juju and the town. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm getting ready to write the final episode for season two. And, and it'll be the first cliffhanger that, that, that I've had. But where I would love to see it is I would love to see it grow to the point to where I have voice actors, you know, that, that I can, you know, pay to, to, you know, for their services. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, the ultimate goal, brother, would be for, you know, it to become a, a TV series. That's where I would love to see it, you know, and to see it put in, you know, to see somebody take it. These stories that that I'm, you know, I'm trying to create, you know, the right mood, the right feel and see how, you know, a, a good director would take that and translate it into the visual side of it. That's that's my dream now, you know. But I'm totally happy just having a, 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 a following, you know, listening to the podcast. I'm going to ask you about the TV comment in a sec, but I, I want to ask you something else about uh, the format of the show. If you bring four uh, voice actors into the show, do you think you'd do it more like a, a show that, that Night Vale sort of uh, presents, or would you continue to do it the way that you do it at the moment and then have those voice, voice actors come in on special episodes? You know, that, that's a good question. Um, I think there would be certain episodes that I would totally do by myself. You know, maybe it's because of the inflection, you know, cause you know, it's not always what you say, it's how you say it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, trying to get, uh, you know, a voice actor to, to hit it the way I've got it, you know, there'd probably be certain things that I would do myself, but I would, I would love to, for the bulk of the episodes to have some sort of voice acting in it, whether it's okay. one person, two persons, you know, whatever, uh, because I think that would be fun too to be able to, to spend that time sitting around a table with friends, you know, cause you know, there's going to be outtakes and things like that. It would just be so fun to be able to do yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, cool. Okay. Now my question about TV, I was hoping you'd say that's where you want to take it because I think these stories lend themselves so well to being able to be portrayed in a a, a miniseries or a TV series. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're written really well. They're in interesting stories. They're, 
they they could actually present so well in a series. Now, the only thing is, I'd say, don't let Netflix get it because <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> they they took one of my stories or one of the podcasts I I, I found and loved and turned it into a TV series, <laughs> and it's horrible. So really, um, yeah. So I'll I'll. I'll recommend the podcast here to listen to. Yeah. On the proviso, please don't go and watch the TV series because it'll just ruin the whole experience for you. So uh, Archive 81 was a a show that they've actually made as a series on Netflix. Gotcha. Uh, and it's nothing like the like the podcast. The podcast is – you would love it too. There's a lot of um, Lovecraft – uh, references and Good. magic, black magic. Um, it's skillfully done in terms of it's based around audio. Uh, mm-hmm. I won't go any further. Just uh, mm-hmm. listen to it. Um, uh, I think you, you'd really appreciate it. But they did a horrible job taking it from the podcast uh, to the TV screen. Um, and that's so, the fear. You know, that's always yeah. the fear. Like my, my son and I, we always have these conversations, you know, of like, you know, what would happen, Ethan, that's his name, if your comic, you know, took off? You know, and, you know, what if they wanted to make a, a movie or and we have these conversations, you know, yep. like this. And 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 we're always terrified that, you know, if that should ever happen, you know, would they fundamentally change it? Like what happened with, you know, Archive 81. Yeah. So there's always that fear, but I read a, I read a quote from Stephen King recently and he was talking about, you know, Hollywood taking what you've written and, and, you know, he didn't say it, but he was hinting at messing it up. And he yeah. was like, you have to look at it this way. If Hollywood gets, gets hold of your stuff, look at it as an alternate universe. Okay. You know, and at the end of the day, if, if, even if they do it, half-assed you know he he wasn't saying it in this way but what he was getting at is it's still going to drive sales to your okay. to your book which you know but still there's a frustration in that there's a frustration in going no that's not rory you know or no yeah, that's not what happened in the story you know and that's what fanboys will look at and go no that's not that's who right. he is he'd never do that so <laughs> right. uh yeah which i understand completely uh you know i've been known to yell at the tv a couple of times oh uh, <laughs> we do as well yeah um <laughs> <laughs> uh, now you mentioned a book also do you think there might be a longer form book concerning the people of Nevermore Hollows. Yes, the there there are there are actually two books fully written, edited, oh. ready to go. All oh, right, fantastic. One is I'll t- I'll tell you. Right, so so this this is the nugget. This this universe was birthed out of characters we've not seen yet. Oh, um, okay. it was a book. I wrote a book, and and it was so heavy, brother. If you were to read it, you would go. There's so much Buffy in that. All right, <laughs> it, it, it's a it's it's you know. Where it's similar is you've got a girl who evil is attacking her. She's got a little close knit group net, you know, close knit group friends. Yep. But the difference is, is she's not supernatural in any way. You know, she okay. just fights the supernatural. And so I wrote this book and I started trying to, you know, shopping it around to agents and, you know, where I was able to publish a book in 2008, even from 2008 <clears throat> and, and, you know, and the book was a small press, you know, I, you know, it, it did well. They wanted me to do a sequel, but I realized that 
spy novels are not where I want to be. I want to be in the spooky. Yeah. But um, so as I was shopping this this uh, around, I was also writing these short stories with different characters. But um, as I was shopping this this book around, I got so frustrated. Okay, because every agent that was interested, they literally would go, okay. What if we did this to the character? And they were wanting to change the character so fundamentally that it wasn't the same story or it wasn't the same thing I was trying to say. So, you know, I was frustrated. And then I was like, you know, you know what? Podcasting. So, you know, I started with, you know, the short stories with the goal of making these books long-term serials, you know? Okay. Yep. Um, but so here I am to, to, to answer your question more succinctly is there are two books that are ready to go a third that is almost done the third one is is more of the characters we see the first two are completely different characters in the universe um and i'm 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 at a point now where i'm trying to decide do i release them as their own series as a podcast or do I seek publication again? And my gut is telling me that it's probably just going to be a series. Okay. Okay. Well, so I don't have to, so I have complete control and don't have to fight with somebody going, well, you know, and, and like in one of them, there, there's a, there's a little black girl and yeah. she plays an, you know, an integral role. Well, you know, I had, I had an agent ask me, well, how can you write from the perspective of a little black girl? Oh. And I'm like, okay, you know, so, so you're, you're not, you're not worried in the story. You're worried in, in yeah. the woke narrative. Yeah. So, yeah. um, which was frustrating. So, you know, I, I didn't want to have to, you know, I didn't want to have to, to argue with that person. Well, my, my daughter plays with a little black girl every day, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I didn't want to have to justify myself, you know? So I just like, well, you're not the agent for me. Yeah. That, that, that must be frustrating for you because like, then again, you're not a possessed evil capuchin monkey either. So I don't know how you can write from that sort of aspect either. <laughs> but yeah, that must be very frustrating. Uh, you know, it's something that's your baby and then they just want to fundamentally change everything about it. Uh, and for the wrong reasons too. Like seriously, it's ridiculous. But yeah, that could be a whole nother podcast in itself in terms of what's going on nowadays so <laughs> all right cool well let's get back to finishing off uh, your countdown uh why don't we we're up to number five why don't you give me your number five please this will be an interesting one <laughs> yeah uh yeah it goes back to my my boomerism here but i would have to say and, and i would have to say star wars episode eight Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. I can understand that. I thought seven, you know, I thought JJ Abrams did a really good job with seven, you know, when we're introduced, you know, to, um, you know, all the new characters and, and fleshing them out and, and, you know, Ren, you know, uh, Kylo Ren, you know, there's that one scene where he's looking at Vader's helmet, you know, and he's struggling, you know, he mm. goes, I, I want to be evil, but I want to be good is basically that. I think that is an amazing scene, mm. you know, and it, and it gets to the heart of the duality of man. You know, we, we, we're, we're made for goodness, but we're broken and, and evil on the inside. What a powerful, and, and, you know, and, and the rest of that story was kind of centered, even though, you know, Ren was, you know, she was, you know, the, the main character of that, that whole story, but, 
everything kind of centered around that one scene of how this one guy was struggling with his evil nature. And then eight comes along and, and I felt that it, it just took, it just took it in a way that to me, it just, I I didn't care about it after that. Yeah. And that's what I, I think that's what all those movies after the original four, five and six, a lot of people like myself, I don't nearly, I nearly don't acknowledge anything after four, five, six. Like, right. I agree. (laughs) I don't like the first three that much. They're really CGI heavy. I don't like, the other ones, uh, like I haven't even seen Rise of uh, what's the last one? The Rise of Skywalker. I didn't see it either. No. Yeah, so I have no interest. And yeah, I, I for me, eight or anything after six could have killed that franchise because I just didn't think they were that that great. So right, but fair enough. <laughs> and you know, something else that frustrates me too with with Lucas, you know, he was one of those guys. He he wouldn't he wouldn't stop messing with the original, you know. You know, when you had all those practical effects and and everything that worked so well, and and then he kept going back and adding CGI here and this there and this there, and 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 to me it was it was real frustrating to to go back. Just you know, there's there's a there's a point you know where you know a great artist Van Gogh, you know Picasso, whatever they have to step back and go, it's done. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to come back and touch it ever again. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, he's pretty guilty of that, I think. Um, and again, I think he was, he's probably pushed a little bit by what people, I think there were two things. There was one, it was expectations of audiences and also the fact that he was probably thinking that he, stuff he wanted to do back then, he could mm-hmm. now do. Problem mm-hmm. is, you've got, like you said, you have to leave the original as it is. Yeah, you would have liked to be able to do certain things with effects and you could have fleshed out the movie exactly the way you wanted it, but you couldn't. You, you had to use practical effects, but the practical effects were what made it look That's so right. good. It yes. gave it that earthiness, that that realism. And, yeah, you're completely correct. I think he just tampered way too much with it. When you see the extended scenes with Jabba the Hutt and things like that, it was just, right. it's ridiculous. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So they got the perspective wrong for starters. So, <laughs> <laughs> so with uh, those two. But, anyway, uh, we could go on about that as well probably. So, <laughs> All right, what's uh, number four? All right, so number four is uh, a Guilty Pleasure album. And, uh, you know, I'm a rock and roll guy. You know, I love rock and roll, love the blues, you know, uh, you know, for me, like you were saying, an overdriven guitar, you know, and, and it's just, you know, that, that hits me somewhere. But, uh, I came across Sturgill Simpson's meta modern sounds and country music. Okay. Now it's outlaw country and I grew up hating outlaw country, (laughs) but you know, this this album, I don't know if you've ever listened to it. The guitar no. playing is sublime. I mean, it, it's outlaw country kind of guitar playing, but the 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 guy who plays guitar on that album, I can't even pronounce his name. I think he's like, I don't know, he's like Icelandic or something. It's it's a really strange name. Uh, an amazing. Sorry, it's not Ingve Malmsteen, is it? No, 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 no. It's like no. Jorgen something. It's it's oh, okay, it's really, okay. But um, but. The, the guitar playing is just amazing. And lyrically, you know, there's something to be said about just party music. You know, you know, it take you somewhere, just let you forget. But I don't think there's a lot of people saying anything in music today. I don't have to agree with what you say, but, you know, tell me something, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but 
this guy, as he's writing his lyrics, you, I think you get a glimpse inside who the man is. But there's so many good lines in there. And the story Ravenberry Pie came from a line out of one of his songs on that album where he's he's the, the lyric is, I've been waiting on an angel waitress to come and take my order to tell me all about the special today. And as I'm driving down the road, listen, I went, what would the special of the day be at Winona's? Yeah, you know, and how would that, you know, so, so that story almost came, I mean, it was just almost like a download of, well, her name's going to be Angel because, you know, that's inspired by the lyric. What does she offer? Who does she offer it to? And what are the evil consequences that happen? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there's another story that another on on his follow up album, um, um, there's a line where he's talking about when he was uh, in the Navy. And he says, uh, I've got sea stories, most of them true. Um, they might seem a little far-fetched, but would I lie to you? And, you know, what I've not been able to flesh out at the moment, I've said it in a couple of the stories, is that Nevermore is is a seaside town. Okay? Okay. You know, I've, I've said it in a couple of stories that it's, you know, it, it's a coastal town, but okay. I've never even gotten to those stories yet. You know, I've got a number of sea stories I want to tell, and they're all kind of Cthulhu inspired, you know, yes. Lovecraft. Lovecraft, yeah. But, yeah. but when he when he said that, I, I what I'm on that lyric, I said, okay, there's a crusty old sailor, you know, and the boys keep coming to him, and, and you know, the, all the kids in town want to hear his sea stories, and they they think he's just a whack job, you know. So so where I'm going with it is he he tells them that he's been in all these great naval battles throughout history from Troy all the way up and they don't believe him. But where I'm going to go with the story is maybe he was in all those. Maybe he was. (laughs) So what, what, what kind of stories could come out of, out of that? And again, that came from a line in a song, you know, fantastic. that's amazing. And look, that's, that's the thing I love about your storytelling too. The imagery is fantastic. And there are a lot of, what was the one that uh, really came to sprung to mind? So in one of the stories, I can't remember which one it was, you said that the, uh, the moon hung in the sky like a bulging eyeball of a lunatic. Yes. Or something like that. I thought to myself, that is a, that's a fantastic <laughs> way of describing a big full moon. And, uh, uh, you know, are you inspired a lot? in terms of that sort of imagery from music or, or other stories, or is it just stuff like that that just comes naturally to you? Uh, that's just from a twisted mind right there, I guess. There, yeah. Well, that's a fantastic twisted mind. Yeah. That's amazing. So, <laughs> um, Look, quickly, before we go on to number three, you were talking about Guilty Pleasure albums. What sort of music are you normally into? Um. Again, heavily into the blues. You know, I'll, I'll have that in the background. You know, because you know, I don't, it just calls to me. It, it mm-hmm. just does. You know, and you know, it's one of those things. You, you try to explain it to people, and they just you know, most people nowadays don't even listen to. Some people don't even realize that there's a genre called the blues. But when when I'm not trying to be at peace, it's Foo Fighters. It's it's it. You know, anything with with overdriven guitars. I you know, especially like the '90s kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, um, but, uh, you know, here recently I've, I've rediscovered, uh, my chemical romance and, okay. uh, re- yeah. really, yeah. Into that. but I tell you too, and you can tell it, you know, a lot of the characters in, in the stories are all punk lovers, you know, at any given time, I'm usually wearing either a Ramones t-shirt or, or misfits. my son will be wearing a misfits yeah. all the time. He, yeah. he left for work a few minutes ago 
and he, he's got a job now where he, where, you know, as we're trying to get his, his uh, comic book off the ground, you know? Yeah. So he's having to wear a button down shirt, you know, well, he had his misfits t-shirt on under it. <laughs> you Perfect. Know, so, Perfect. Yeah, yeah. We, we get into that kind of stuff. That's and what we, I, I guess the Foo Fighters features heavily in one of the, uh, one of the, the episodes, which I won't give away. Now, also you described a motorbike going down the street with the wheels raging against the machine. Are you raging yeah. against the machine, fan? Oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. Are, are you? <laughs> yeah, no, are I love you? rage. Rage are fine. Yeah, they're rage, rage are great. And I've got to be in the right mood for rage. Uh, yes. for, sorry, for rage. Uh, and they're, they're great workout. Uh, songs so <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, the thing with rage, i love how they're they're constantly changing you know if you listen how a song starts off may not be what's going on in the middle or the end of it mm. the the issue is is all the screaming after a while you can only take so much of being screamed at but i love how tight that band is and yeah and you know the the whole hip-hop vibe to it but yet it's not hip-hop you know yeah. it's it's just yeah. really good uh, like I said, you're completely right. You have to. I I have to be in the mood for rage, and if I am, then it's great. Otherwise, yeah, I can take it or leave it, and I'll listen to something else. But you can, yeah, you're right. After a while, you just gotta give it a rest. So that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to number three, please. Uh, why I love and hate Batman. Uh, and <laughs> Contentious. Yeah, I've been a Batman fan since I was a little kid. You know, collecting comic books, and you know, you know where every other quote unquote superhero has a superpower, Batman doesn't, you know, he, he's a normal guy, you know? So again, you can see the thing that I keep clinging to and coming back to, he's a normal guy. He, you know, he, he's wanting to, to make the, you know, his city a better place. Well, I've been collecting the comic books for years and years and years and years, decades. Okay. And it's gotten to the point to where I've almost canceled the subscription because he's not growing. You know, okay. they've written him to a point now. The original Batman had a gun and, and shot bad guys, you know, yep. and yep. and now he will beat them to within an inch of his life, throw them into Arkham Asylum. And then the cycle starts over again, 10 issues down the road with the same. I mean, it's it's, it's gotten boring because there's yep. no growth. Yes. You know, there's no yes. growth in that character, no growth in that story, no growth in that universe. So while I love the concept, the Ben fan for, you know, in all its iterations, whether it's the campy 60s yes. stuff or the serious stuff, but it's gotten to the point to where, you know, and I used to get it, you know, when I would go every month and, and, and pick up my, my issue, I'd read it, sit down, read it, got to read it, got to be now. Sometimes it'll be three or four months before I get to that particular stack of comic okay. books. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, at some point you have to kill off somebody and they have to yes. stay dead. Yes, definitely. They've got to. Otherwise you it's know. just like a slasher movie sort of thing. So where That's they always right. keep coming back, which is boring for me. That's so, right. Yeah. And it will, it'll get boring. And then, you know, so, you know, in saying that I, I've had a lot of thought, thank God it's early you know, for me, I'm only two seasons in. I don't have to worry about killing anybody off, but there's going to come a day that I'm going to have to start killing people off, you know? And then, you know, so I've been trying to think now, who would that be? What would it look like? How would that come about? Mm. Um, but but anyway, the, back to the point, I love Batman for its concept of, you know, an ordinary no man, man. Yep. standing up against evil, but, you know, there's no growth in that no. character. I 100% agree. Um, he's the most courageous of all the Justice League because of that point. He fights mm -hmm. supernatural 
beings. That's right. With non supernatural powers, sort of thing. So, uh, and uh, he's very clear cut. I like his character in terms of he knows he has his own idea of right and wrong, and he mm-hmm. never sways. And this mm-hmm. is why we have discussions about this character and how it's been portrayed in the movies with my, my, my young, my eldest boy is a Batman nut or he was, he's now 21. So he'd hate me saying he's a Batman nut, but uh, he loved Batman. It's his favorite character growing up and uh, he knows the law back to front. And Mm -hmm. we talk about, for example, Tim Burton's uh, depiction of Gotham city was Mm -hmm. great, but he didn't understand the characters. But I said, well, I think he did because, you know, in that first, Someone dies in the first sight, in the first scene. And like you said, in the old days, original Batman got rid of people because he knew right from wrong. So we have big discussions on Batman and ethical, you know, uh, issues pertaining to the new Batman and what he should be and what he shouldn't be. And Robert Pattinson's Batman, what did you think? And what did you think of the story and him as Batman? I'm very interested to find out. Okay. You know, uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. As Batman, I'm, I want to see more of him as Batman. He was a thoughtful Batman. Okay. You, you know, there was a couple of scenes there where he was in the Riddler's lair and, and the way they shot it. I mean, there's that one scene where, where the camera is on him and he could have said something in that scene and he doesn't, you know, but the way he acted it out, you could tell that he was taking in everything. He was thinking it through because he is a detective. A detective. First. Exactly. Yes. Exactly right. And that's the thing I liked about it. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So that's, that's where I, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. And I thought there were some really good, you know, I loved his suit. You know, I mm-hmm. thought the suit was great. Um, you know, I liked how they treated the Batmobile and, and, and the Bat cycle. It wasn't, you know, as much as I love that over the top grandiose stuff that Tim Burton did, you know, I, I like that this was more of a realistic approach. You know, it was a muscle okay. car, yeah. you know, and it was, you know, you know, you know, it was a real bike, you know? Um, so I thought, you know, the mixture of the, you know, the fact that we're going to embrace that he's running around in a suit, but he's yeah. also driving, you know, something relatively tame. Normal. Yeah. 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 I liked and, it. You, what did you think? I have diametrically opposed opinions from my elder son when it comes to that movie. He hates yeah. the fact that I didn't really like it that much. Because, I didn't like the movie. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't like the movie. I, I thought Pattinson was okay. I love the fact that they went back to him being a detective, yes. because that is integral to who Batman is. You know, yeah. he's one of if you can. It's not a superpower, but if you can say it's one of the things that makes him what he is and enables him to fight all these supernatural beings, is that he's a genius. And he's yep. a genius detective, um, yep. apart from being mega rich as well. So uh, <laughs> I I wasn't convinced with Pattinson's depiction. I know it's a younger Batman, but um, I actually like probably the way that the backstory to, to, to the way Christian Bale in that Batman, the Dark Knight and things like that, how he became Batman. For me, that's a little bit more... I guess, genuine in terms of what I think Batman is. And I didn't like the car and the cycle, which my son can't believe as well. He, But I didn't like – I like the fact that he's got to have something that does set him aside from – and I know it's trying to be consistent with 
who he is and the suit because it's going to evolve. He's going to evolve, right. obviously, in the next movie. And, he, and this is what my, you know, when I talk about the things that I don't like, people will say, yeah, but it's he's going to evolve into a more sophisticated and what you expect from Batman and he'll have all the other toys and things as as you go. But I like the story of, yeah, in terms of Batman Begins, Dark Knight, probably a little mm-hmm. bit more traditional Batman than than that story. And I think the movie was way too long. There was a half yes. an hour of that movie that could have been cut out. Yeah, we all, all, all my friends are geeks when it comes to that kind of stuff. And, and what we all fell on is that we, we liked Pattinson's Batman, hated his Bruce Wayne as, as this yes. emo character, hated yes, that. Exactly. Yes. And we thought the movie was boring, but we, we, we kind of liked the universe, want to see that universe expanded on. But, you know, our biggest struggle with that whole story was the Riddler was basically the Batman. He was, he was, offing the bad guys yes the difference was is that he was actually killing them where batman wouldn't Wouldn't, but they were basically the same character yeah yeah very true and i thought the the relationship between him and selena kyle uh was too quick yeah it came about way too quick and i didn't like the way she portrayed yeah i didn't like the actress zoe kravitz i don't know it just didn't resonate with me no no, exactly. And this, these are all the things that my son just looks at me like he really liked that movie. But uh, the only thing he will agree with me on is it was, it was too long. Yep. <laughs> Everything else is diametrically opposed. But, uh, uh, well, it, it is what it is. So uh, very good. Okay. Um, uh, actually, before I say uh, – before I go on to your number two, who's your favorite Bruce Wayne and who's your favorite Batman? Oh, what a great question. All right. So I would have to say that my favorite Batman would be Christian Bale. Okay. I, I like the way he treated Batman. It was, you know, like I say, it, there was a believability there in, 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 in how, you know, they came about, you know, having to work through the suit. What does the suit do and how he approached it? Uh, I would, I would have to say that my favorite Bruce Wayne. Would have to be uh, Adam West from the '60s ones because he embraced the the whole Playboy silly. I mean, I know it is so yeah. diametric, like you're saying, it's diametrically opposed to each other. I've got this serious brooding Batman, and I got yeah. this this because it was just so campy and so out of the you know out of nowhere, and it just. Yeah. Uh, but I would say I would probably tie the Bruce Wayne with um, uh, Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne. I liked how he you know, in, in a serious way, you know, it was believable. He wasn't so brooding that he was depressed, but, you know, he was brooding and thoughtful and yes, you know, you know, in with an intention and an intensity. I, when I'm asked that question, Michael Keaton does come up, but I actually like Michael Keaton's Batman. I don't think he's handsome enough to play, to be the the really good Bruce Wayne. Um, Unfortunately, sorry. He doesn't listen to my podcast, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. You, you, you might get a call later on and go, what do you mean talking about me? I'm not handsome enough to <laughs> But I loved his Batman, so that was okay. So it's all good. So, but all right. That look, that, that's really good. And unexpected, the, uh, the, the Bruce Wayne of, uh, what's that act? I don't, do you know that actor's name? I don't know his name. Actually. It was Adam West, I believe. Oh, Adam West, of course. Oh, yes. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. From, uh, f- uh, I should know that. I watch enough Family Guy. So. <laughs> 
Yeah. And, and, you know, and again, that was just such a campy show, you know, and it, it knew exactly what it wanted to be. It knew yeah. exactly what it was. And, Cesar you know, Romero and yeah, fantastic. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you look back on them now. I tried watching a few episodes last year and it was just so over the top. But as a kid, you know, you're like the boom, pow, wow and all yeah. that. But, yeah. you know, and it's you know, the way he played Bruce Wayne is this, you know, uh, just. It was again. It was the campiness, but it you know it also was the kind of the playboy of the sixties kind yes, of thing. You know? Of course, yeah. And it's funny. My son came up with a nice little tidbit from that series. He said, "Do you know Cesar Romero that um, he wouldn't." He would. He refused to actually shave his moustache, so that's mm-hmm. why he had to actually have the, the makeup <laughs> on his moustache over his face. <laughs> I thought that that would not fly nowadays. No. So. Uh-uh. No, yeah, and it is funny. When I when I was watching the episodes last you know last summer, I was I was getting tickled. You know, look, I mean, of course he's playing the character the way he was supposed to play the character at the yeah. time, but that mustache it was <laughs> it was it was so hysterical. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Up, oh, very good, fantastic. Okay, let's get to uh, your number two, please. All righty. Uh, favorite comic book storyline. And this comes out of the Batman universe as well. Uh, back uh, earlier this year, um, they had a storyline come out called The Three Jokers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. And, you know, for, for those folks who aren't into the Batman universe, there's, there's this one storyline where Batman gets to sit on this, this throne. And this, this throne allows you to ask any question. And you'll get the answer, no matter what that question is. So, of course, when Batman sits down on the throne, his question is, who is the Joker? What's who's who's the identity of the Joker? And the chair responds, which Joker? Ah, very intriguing. Right. And so, you know, that that was proposed years ago and they never went anywhere with it. Well, at the first of this year, they come out with um, with a series of books to explain the three jokers and in the universe. It's not a multiverse thing. It's literally okay. in that specific universe. There are three jokers. One is your classic over the top clown joker. One is the, you know, the mob boss joker. And the other one is the other one that just, you know, embraces chaos. Yeah. And they are three distinct jokers and you get to find out a little bit about each one. And when I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to screw this up. It's going to be terrible. But it was actually fascinating. And, and it kind of goes back to that, that growth that we're not seeing in the, in the main Batman character, you know, you know, you have to be careful when you mess with canon because, like you say, you got the fanboys like us who are going to foul. But it was yes, but it was handled in such an intriguing way to me that I was like, now that was well told. So I've got those three, and you know, I, in fact, I even recently the artwork in it is great, the story is great, it all makes sense, you know. And so for me, I, I think that is my favorite comic book storyline is how they were able to convince a fanboy like me to open up my, what I'm willing to accept. Yep. And, and make me believe in it. Fantastic. Oh, that's a, that's a great answer to that question actually. And, and in terms of, uh, physical roles to, uh, movie roles and for the Joker, who is your favorite? Would you say? Oh my gosh. What a, that's a tough one because, you know, you want to go Heath Ledger, you know, because the way he approached that was so. It's amazing. You know, it was, uh, I mean, literally, I mean, I can remember when, when that movie came out, 
there was, I mean, there was a buzz. I mean, you could feel it. I would walk into a room and people would be talking about it and you could feel the energy of like, oh my gosh, something, uh, something magical has happened. So it would have to be that, but such a close second would be Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, you liked Joaquin Phoenix. I did. I did. Did you not? That makes it sound like you didn't. No, not a big fan. I actually like Jack Nicholson, but (laughs) 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 But I just, I know it's an over the top. I I actually love that comic book nature of that movie. So obviously I like Michael Keaton. I actually thought Jack Nicholson was really good as well. He uh, he was. Yeah. Uh, and I love Heath Ledger's depiction as well. I'm not a fan of uh, Yakin Phoenix's Joker, and the movie was okay, but I wasn't writing home about it. Put it that way. So yeah, I agree that the movie, you know, the movie had its issues, but I think the reason I'm allowing this to be a close second is because I went into it going no. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I in fact I, I didn't even want to go see the movie. And, you know, I was like, I'll wait till it comes out. And then my son was like, no, let's go see it. And when we went and saw it, I think I went in with such, you know, unwillingness to accept him as a joker or even that storyline that, um, you know, at the end of it, I think because it had convinced me that he could play some kind of a character like that, you know, not saying anything about his acting he's an amazing actor. But, you know, mm-hmm. the Joker is such a, it's a difficult character to play. Yeah, definitely. Because I guess, especially lately, people that play the Joker have made it their own. Um, yes. They've stayed true to, obviously, his chaotic nature and the serial killer vibe, but they've also, you know, with Heath Ledger and obviously Akeem Phoenix and, <laughs> and who was it? Was it Jared Leto? Yes. I hated yeah. that. Hated that <laughs> one. Oh, my God. Uh, Euro trash Joker is what that was. I <laughs> <laughs> the thing was, I wasn't like, it's not my favorite Joker in any way, shape or form, but that movie, most people hate and I didn't mind. So I guess I'm, <laughs> I'm, on, I'm a bit of an outlier when it comes to that whole movie. So Yeah, no, I liked the movie. I did. But I just hated his his Joker. Yeah, you know, I think they could have changed his Joker. Now, let's go back to Jack Nicholson. I, I read an in or actually watched a, a an interview with the the head of the studio back then, I mean, he wasn't the head of studio at the time he was being interviewed. And I want to say his name was Peter Goober, something like that. It was, you know, one of those big studio heads from, from the day. And he was being interviewed and they said, what was, what was the scariest moment in your career as, as a man who, you know, would make the decision of what movies to be made and whatnot. And he goes, the scariest moment is when I convinced um, Jack Nicholson to play the Joker. He says, I'd been after him and after him and after him. And he goes, and after it was done, he says, Jack called me up. And he goes, if this is a flop, I will kill you. And he goes, <laughs> and Jack Nicholson says he's going to kill you. You have to take it with, with some measure of, of truthfulness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that. I've seen him at the basketball. So <laughs> I can understand that. So, yeah, very, uh, very good. Very good. But while I remember it too, please plug your son's uh, comic. Tell everybody the name of the, the comic. Excellent. Well, thank you for allowing that. Um, he uh, has an underground comic that he's been working on for a couple of years. Uh, it's called Mighty Snail. Again, you know, you could tell, you know, anybody who's listened to my stuff, you're going to, and you see his stuff, there's always this, you know, there's a playfulness in there. There's a weird sense of humor in it. And Mighty Snail is about these two aliens that come to, uh, come to Earth. And 
they look kind of like anthropomorphic snails. Now they're these big buff characters. Okay. And, and it's mighty snail and his sidekick, Steve and mighty, they, they live in Japan and they want to be the world's greatest superheroes. But because they're in Japan, everybody thinks that they are cosplayers running around making an independent <laughs> film. So, so there's that tongue in cheek. So, so there's four issues out. You you can you can get it on Amazon. Uh, you know, Mighty Snail. Uh, just Google Mighty Snail, and you'll you'll, you'll see it. But um, the issues do really well. He's also in four comic books, actual brick and mortar stores. Um, oh, right. He's the cool thing is I've got to be with him while he's had a couple of book signings, and that's really exciting. Now I'll tell you this: this is really cool. So he had this one book signing, and the owner of the comic shop is in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he says, you know, he goes, look, he goes, I'm moving circles. The, this comic book owner was shop owner was telling us, he goes, I kind of move in circles, you know, um, I'm going to set you up with, you know, on, on free comic book day, I'm going to set you up next to somebody who, who's, who's making it in the industry. Well, we show up and he puts us right next to, I mean, literally two little tables together. And we're sitting next to the Marvel comic book art, artist, Alex Ogle. Okay. Who who had just he was getting ready to have a a um, a Spider Man um, cover art come out. Um, okay. We we spent the whole day with Alex Ogle. He was such a nice guy. He you know he 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 spoke all day long with my son about uh, you know the industry and and all that and you know how you get your foot in the door. It was an awesome experience. He was a great guy, but. Um, Mighty Snail, and you know he's on he's on Instagram at Mighty Snail Official. Um, so you know, thank you if if you like comic books and you like underground comic books, uh, check that out. Definitely. Well, I'll have to follow him on Instagram for sure. That's great. Um, all right, look, why don't we get to a couple of the the questions that I'm doing now as a pretty much uh, constant sort of thing that I ask all my guests. Uh, First question is, what are you reading, watching, and or listening to at the moment? Um, well, I'm reading the Stephen King book, The Outsider. Uh, as we covered, yes. Very good. Yeah, very good. You know, it's a good story. I like it. Um, reading a couple of different comic books uh, at the moment. Um, I think um, the one that, that excites me the most right now is um, they've reintroduced Sergeant Rock. Uh, I don't know, you know, if you're a comic book geek, you know, we've not seen that storyline in probably 20 years. Um, okay. You know, it, it's set in World War II and, and uh, you know, it's got a zombie bent this time around, which has kind of been there, done that. But it's yeah. it's a fun take on it. So I'm reading that. Okay. Uh, what I'm watching at the moment is I'm watching uh, rewatching Buffy, you know, in almost <laughs> done with season two. And uh, I've been watching uh, American Horror Story. And I don't know what your take is on American Horror Story. And, you know, I know trying to, you know, hopefully someday get my foot in the door. I think American Horror Story at times is a train wreck. Yeah. And and I watch it because it is a train wreck. And so many times it's a vehicle just to push some sort of agenda first, yeah. story second. But when they get it right, it's really spooky. You know, well, and it's it's yeah. really creepy. No, I think you're... I think the original series, a couple of the original series were really, really good. Um, the one where they went to the, I can't remember what it was called, but they went to, they, it was a, it was a dual story series. One was aliens, one was vampires. Yes. And, Mm -hmm. um, I thought that one didn't really hit the mark very well. Uh, but 
there have there was the the witchcraft one which had the the creepiest opening credits of any tv series yeah. i've ever it, watched yeah. i there felt like some... i sorry no go, go ahead go ahead I just gonna say, I, I felt like I had to go, you know, get some holy water and stuff and pour it over my head and <laughs> yeah. to like uh, surround myself with about fourteen crosses or something like that because it was, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. And, and my son and I, was, the first time we watched, it, we looked at each other and were like, "Yeah, that was pretty creepy." And he goes, yeah. "Yeah, that was." <laughs> but yeah, we watched it every way. time. <laughs> well, I didn't. I started making sure I skipped the intro on it because it was. I mean, it, it it made you feel like there, you know, there's something messing with you. Like there yeah. was some kind of subliminal message in it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's it. Yeah, exactly right. There was something underlying to it that uh, you know, there's some sort of uh, uh, black magic being being uh, used uh, through the uh, the opening credits. So it was a pretty crazy. Se- and they're really good with that. Actually, I think most of the series, whether the series is good or not, the opening credits are fantastic. Fantastic. They're, yes. they're usually really good. The music and the imagery, it's disturbing. And that's what makes it obviously yes. uh, gives you that impact. You're right. You know, and, and I'll tell you, that's something like, you know, when you look at their promotional material, you know, sometimes you look at they, they have these really striking images. They're they're you know, they're they're very well done. Mm. And sometimes it really doesn't have anything to do with with the series at all. Sometimes, you know, but I'll tell you, as I've been trying to create, you know, graphics on, you know, for Instagram, I I rely kind of, you know, I pull from some uh, inspiration from some of their graphics or their approach to it, because, you know, I I keep trying to think, you know, how can I put something out there that that might engage somebody to go, well, that's a weird graphic. I'm going to go see what this guy's all about. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I I pull heavily from what they do. But you're right. They've they've got that intro down and they've got the the graphic, even the little the little music, you know, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, It's just it just makes you feel weird. Unsettling. Yes. Unsettling. (laughs) Uh, Very good. Okay, well, my other question I've got is one that I've just come up with recently. If you could be a VIP guest or, or a guest on a. Uh, or be put on a guest list for anything, a concert, a podcast, wedding, sporting event, talk show, what would it be and why? Uh, I would love to have dinner with Dean Koontz. Oh, and, okay. uh, you know, I, I, he had a podcast for a while that I listened to years ago. And, you know, for people who who maybe don't really get too deeply into Dean Koontz, one of the things about Dean Koontz is he has a sense of humor that that comes out in a lot of his stories, and you know uh, that I've always been drawn to. And you know, there's always a, a purity to his characters, and, and that that you just you just love them. And you know, he's I've been reading him since I was a kid. You know, in the eighties. And it started with Watchers, and I've read everything since, everything. So to be able to sit, you know, just for a few minutes and and just talk to him and peek behind that curtain, you know. I know most people would say Stephen King, but, um, you know, for me, uh, as important as Stephen King has been, Dean Koontz is is the man. So to be able to just have some dinner with him. And and on the podcast where I was going with that, my ADHD is in the way. I apologize. (laughs) Anyway, so so, you're doing fine. (laughs) Right. In his podcast, he used to talk about, oh, you know, I went and had dinner with with this person. And I would think, wow, you know, wouldn't it be great to have dinner with him and, and just, you know, gain that knowledge? I think you'd have to get by the gushing fanboy or 
to actually yes. really enjoy it. Because yes. I know if I if I was sitting down with someone that I really admired, it'd be hard to actually think straight probably to actually get something out that was meaningful that you'd like to uh, get them to answer rather than just saying, look, I really love your stuff. Right. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> just, you know, just, can I touch your shoulder? <laughs> you know, <laughs> will, will you sign my forehead? You know, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, fantastic. All right, that's a good one and probably not unexpected considering, right. uh, you know, yeah, your loves and your passion, passions. So, all right, let's move on to uh, your number one and uh, finish off and round out this this uh, top 10 countdown. What is your number one, please? My number one is my favorite book series. And, of course, it's going to be something Dean Koontz wrote. And uh, he wrote a series of books um, called the Odd Thomas series. It's uh, it, it's about this this young man named Odd Thomas, and he lives in, 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 in a desert town. And... The only thing special about him is that he sees the dead. Okay, but not all dead, just only the dead that come to him saying, we've been wronged. We want you to bring justice. Okay. okay? Yeah. So when they appear to him, um, he feels compelled to just, he's basically a detective, you know, mm-hmm. an untrained detective. So he, you know, he'll see a dead person and he tries to figure out, you know, how did this happen? Can I, can I bring the killer to justice? And of course, there's you know there's there's ghosts, there's there's monsters, and then as, as in so many of Dean Koontz's stories, sometimes the the, the most evilest person is just man, you yeah. know. So he goes on these adventures. There's a series. It's a seven <clears throat> excuse me. It's a seven book series with with a couple of novellas splattered around in in in, in between to just kind of tie some of those together. But this character has the purest heart of any character I've ever read. He continues to stand up to to evil, and even when he suffered excruciating loss, and um, and just by the time you get, I, I, all right, the only time I've ever cried reading a book was at the end of that series. I, I shed a tear. Okay. Yeah, it, it was it was because because I'd, I'd been on this emotional journey for yep. you know seven or nine books, and, and and you know when you count the novellas. And by the time we get to the end, you're just like, oh, my gosh, it's over. And you you knew it was over. He was not going to ever revisit it. It's over. It's interesting you say that because what I get from your, your podcast when you're talking about that sometimes the, the most evil uh, creature is man, from your podcast I get that, that, but I also get that some of the best attributes of goodness of innocence and and knowing right from wrong and some of the most selfless acts that are true i guess good uh also come from man it's that dichotomy of you know we can be both dark and light and mm-hmm. i guess that's what draws you to possibly dean coots in terms of that series because it, it features so heavily in what you do in terms of your podcast i guess you were inspired by that a little bit oh yeah definitely you know you know, the whole concept of, you know, and, and I'll kind of tell you, you know, how I, how I came, came to wanting to make sure that these kinds of elements got into my story. It, it, it's dark, but, you know, I was driving down the road one day and my son was little, you know, he was, he was not even yet a toddler and uh, I'm driving down the road and I'm listening to the radio, listening to the news. And there was a story in there about a man Local businessman, upstanding citizen, never had a blemish on his record, killed his whole family. 
and then uh, couldn't remember it. Couldn't remember it. You know, there was no drugs involved or anything like that. So I remember I pulled off the side of the road and I was like, why would somebody do that? And the only thing that I could come up with was evil. So, so, you know, I didn't believe in good and evil at that point, you know, uh, really being an atheist, you know, just men are bad, you know, there's, there's no spiritual realm really to speak of. So then I got to thinking, well, if there's pure evil that can, that can influence a good man, uh, uh, by all accounts, a good man to do such an evil, vile act, then there has to be a good. So knowing that we, you know, where, where I ended up is that we are created to be good, but we are tainted with that evil every day. You know, it wants us to be bad. It wants to corrupt us. So that's where when you put a normal person in a situation, whether it be with, uh, you know, an evil human or something spiritual, it's ultimately a spiritual battle. Are you going to overcome your own inner dark desire and stand up to that good? And so, you know, a lot of that was birthed out of, you know, stories like Odd Thomas, but also just listening to the news and going, you know, good people are allowing themselves to be tainted and they're doing bad things. So, you know, do we have the strength uh, to stand up under that kind of dark adversity? Um, And wow, that's actually a good idea for a story, dark adversity. (laughs) That's a great name for a story. (laughs) That's where it kind of comes from, Darren, is is those thoughts and those stories. Well, I think that is a great place to finish off. We've uh, gone through a a really interesting uh, top 10. Uh, I want to thank you for your input and uh, all the effort you made in terms of uh, the thought that went into your top 10 uh, and giving me a a different bent on my top 10, which is great. So it's something different. I really enjoyed it. And uh, if you'd like to let everybody know where they can contact you and your show and uh, obviously your son's comic as well. We've covered that, but uh, where we can find all your points of contact, that'd be great. Excellent. Uh, right now, Instagram and Nevermore Hollows, uh, on Instagram and Nevermore Hollows on Facebook. Uh, there is a YouTube channel that I started under the old name 13 Graves, but I stopped that to focus on the podcast, but we're getting ready to rebrand that as Nevermore Hollows. And we're going to start uploading all these videos uh, or all these podcasts up to, to uh, YouTube as well. But right now, the Instagram and the Facebook is the best way to get in touch with me, and you can reach me there. Um, and uh, I think even on my nev- on my Instagram, um, there's even my um, uh, email address that you can reach me at. But uh, Darren, I'm I'm so thankful that you allowed me to come on your show and and talk with you, and it's been a, it's been a blast. It has. I've uh, I've really enjoyed the geek out. It's been uh, a lot of fun talking to a, a fellow Buffy fan, <laughs> and uh, uh, I've really I really do genuinely uh, enjoy your your show, your podcast, your stories. And it's like I said, we did this pretty quickly. I usually leave a little bit more time in between getting, to, but I was so anxious to to speak to you. And the only the only thing that I had to make sure of was I wanted to complete both seasons before I talk to you so I could really geek out about it because I, I really do love the the show. So uh, thank you for, again, for all your efforts. Uh, thank you for your show. And uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath for the, the next uh, episode. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. 
No worries. You have a fantastic day. Thanks again for coming on, and I'll contact you uh, on the social somewhere in the future. Sounds good. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you made it this far, thanks for listening, and I hope you will go and check out Nevermore Hollows. Alan is a talented storyteller, and I can't wait to see what the future has in store for his work. Who knows? Book, TV, or movie deals should not be out of the question. As for me, only four shows to go, but as usual, I will chat at you again next episode.